Well, just like with so many other aspects of Christianity, we have a lot of popular culture working against us when we begin to talk about the resurrection. I cannot recount the number of newspaper comic strips and cartoons that portray when a person recently dies, they're floating on a cloud playing a harp. You all know that one, right? <laughs> uh, one of my wife, Allison, and my favorite television programs that's on now is called The Good Place. And The Good Place portrays those in the afterlife uh, through a series of tallies of what you've done good and what you've done wrong. And if you make it to the good place, I think essentially that means you get unlimited froyo. I don't know. That's uh, kind of what I'm gathering from that. So we've got that working against us, but then we also have to remember that we are grafted onto the story of our Jewish brothers and sisters. And if you go all the way back to the time of the first temple, Solomon's temple, the belief was that when everyone died, they went to a place called Sheol, simply the place for rest of the dead is what that meant. Now, as you read the Bible from Genesis all the way through second Chronicles, we don't really have a developed you know, concept of what resurrection actually means. You know, God does bury Moses secretly and we hear about Elijah and Enoch who are taken up into heaven. So there's some clues that maybe something else is going on. But the concept of heaven as a place of reward and hell as a place of punishment, it's developed gradually over the period after Solomon's temple is destroyed, 586 BCE. And the influence of the Babylonians and the Persians, the Greeks, and even the Romans takes root in Judaism, and it will certainly influence Christianity. Remember, Jesus was Jewish, okay? But there's at least four developed types of Judaism during the first century. I'm going to go through them really quickly, just as a reminder. The Pharisees, they're a social group that's supported by the common people. And they really set the stage for rabbinic Judaism, which carries on today after the destruction of that second temple in 70. And the Pharisees claim that they've got their ancestry and their authority from Moses. They're very, very strict on following the laws of Moses. And occasionally we find them challenging Jesus about he and his disciples and what they're doing around the Sabbath and other laws. The zealots were a political movement that wanted to force Rome out of occupation by military might. And remember that Jesus has a disciple whose name is Simon the Zealot. The Essenes, E-S-S-E-N-S, -S -S, are a group that practiced ritual purity. Um, they practiced communal life, voluntary poverty, and their priests practiced celibacy. They most likely separated themselves from the other priestly class when those foreign rulers came in and began to mess things up in the temple. And I'm pretty sure that the community at Qumran who wrote the Dead Sea Scrolls were a group of Essenes. Finally, we get to our group that we hear about today, the Sadducees. And this is a group of the upper class of Judea. And they have their authority going all the way back to Zadok, which is where their name comes from, the first high priest of Solomon's temple. They're very concerned with maintaining the temple and the temple hierarchy. And they do not believe that there is a resurrection. Now, it'd be a mistake to understand these as different denominations of Judaism, but Remembering that there are different interpretations of scripture during the first century will help us understand when Jesus comes up against these different groups and seems to be in some sort of conflict 
with them about scriptural interpretation. Now, here's a really simple children's song that I think will help you remember a little bit about the Pharisees and the Sadducees. It goes like this. I just want to be a sheep. Bah. I just want to be a sheep. Bah. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. I just want to be a sheep. I don't want to be a Pharisee. I don't want to be a Pharisee. Cause they're no fair. You see, I just want to be a sheep. Bah. I don't want to be a Sadducee. I don't want to be a Sadducee. Cause they're so sad. You see, I just want to be a sheep. Bah. Lots of other versions exist. And there's a few more verses. But it will help you remember that the Sadducees are sad because they do not believe in the resurrection. (laughs) What sets the stage for our encounter today with Jesus and the Sadducees and their challenge to him with their limited understanding about God's love being exclusive to our time here on earth. Now, Jesus's most important correction to the Sadducees is that God is the God of the living Jesus says this in reference to the patriarchs for to him, they are alive. When Jesus says this, it's around the year 32. And so father Abraham's been dead for 2000 years or so. His physical body laid to rest in Hebron, but to God, he is alive. Now, some have understood this to mean that Abraham Isaac and Jacob are alive in God's mind. But since today you and I would say that living on in someone's memory is not the same thing as being alive. I think we're talking about something more real and something much more powerful and hopeful. So back to the story. One interpretation of the law of Moses is that a married man who doesn't have a male child who dies could carry on and be remembered to live on in perpetuity by one of his closest brothers marrying his wife and having a male child by her. So they tell this story about a woman who has been married to these seven different brothers, and their question is really tongue-in-cheek since they don't believe in the resurrection. They ask, whose wife will the woman be? All the women here know the answer. Nobody's. She's been through enough. (laughs) I have to think Jesus had a little fun with them. So in the resurrection, Jesus says, we're no longer married or being given in marriage. And this means that we're no longer going to find our value in our relationship to other people. We will know without any doubt. We will understand. We will feel completely that we have extraordinary value simply because we're gods. It means that as individuals who in our earthly pilgrimage discover and work out our identity and relationship with other people that in glory, our identity is no longer dependent upon a relationship to a spouse or a partner. Rather, our identity is known and understood in our relationship with God. Jesus goes on to explain that in the resurrection, we can no longer die. The promise of the resurrection is that we will be physically present with God and with other people in a resurrected body. 
Now, it doesn't mean this body that we currently inhabit, because whatever body our souls occupy is our body. And that body that we receive in the resurrection is eternal. It's not subject to pain, to cancer, or to disabilities. All of those small deaths that we experience during life, the loss of a loved one, broken hearts, and missed opportunities, all of these deaths are no more. Also in the resurrection, we will be like angels. Now remember what angels do. They proclaim good news. Think of Mary and Joseph and Zechariah. They protect. Remember Daniel and the lion's den. And they stand in the presence of God's glory. And then Jesus teaches that we will be like children of God, like children of the resurrection. Notice the word children is mentioned here twice. There's something incredibly important about children that Jesus is constantly reminding people to become like one. It's a matter not of reclaiming ignorance, rather of reclaiming innocence, wonder, trust, and hope. There's a current popular country song that I think sums this up pretty well for us today. This is a Thomas Rhett song, Remember You Young. And he says this, this is the, like, the last verse of the song. Yeah, I hope that when we get to heaven, he looks at us like we're kids, shameless and painless and perfectly ageless, forgives all the wrongs that we did. And no matter how much time goes by, I hope we never have to grow up. And he'll say, for better or worse, from now till forever, I'll always remember you young. It's a great song. The win of the resurrection is really out of our control and we can't know. But we can grow into these realities in our lives even now. We can live in the warmth of acceptance that we belong and we will be returning to our loving God, not dwelling on the fear of dying and lessening the power of those small deaths that we have in our lives. We can proclaim God's love. We can protect God's creation and we can spend lots of time in God's presence and we can work to reclaim our sense of awe our sense of wonder, of innocence, and of hope. Jesus today gives us a teaching of what we will be like in the resurrection. And my brothers and sisters, let us work towards that now and experience the goodness that God has for us. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life, and the resurrection. We thank you for his teaching about resurrection, not that we would put off growing in our relationship with you to some unknown future time, but that through his teaching about how we can proclaim your love, protect your creation, be in your presence and reclaim our innocence and wonder that we would continue to grow in the love and knowledge that we are your beloved children. We thank you for this gift, for all that you have done and all that you're doing. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.